inspiration, success stories, expert advice, strategies, new ideas, and amazing conversations. Everything you need to become a great speaker. This is Oscar Santolaya, and welcome to Time to Shine. Hello, and thanks for joining today. We often hear good advice on public speaking. We get inspired by other people who speak well. And we say, okay, we're going to put this in practice. I'm going to speak great. But when the time comes, well, there's no action. So with our guest today, we're going to discuss that, the, this, this gap between knowledge and action. So for that, I'll introduce you my guest today is Ivan Juanis Ruiz. He is a communication expert and a guest lecturer at several top universities across Canada, including Souther School of Business at the University of British Columbia and the Rotman School at the University of Toronto. When he's not teaching how to speak, well, he is doing it. He has traveled across Canada twice as the official spokesperson for both the Panam Games Toronto 2015 and the Invictus Games 2017. Ivan is also author of the book, They Don't Have to Be Naked, A New Approach to Public Speaking. Hello, Ivan. Hello, Oscar. How are you? Very good. Um, So listen, those were all really great things, but I want to, I know we said, I'm going to put Oscar on the spot, listener, dear listener, because I'm going to tell Oscar three, four things about myself. All of them are sound amazing. But one of them is a lie. And Oscar, you just have to tell me which one is not true, okay? But I'm making it really easy for you. Okay. They're all should have been in my bio. Okay? Mm-hmm. Get ready. You ready, Oscar? Yes. All right. So what, you got to tell me which one of these is not true. Number one, I am what's called a DTM, a Distinguished Toastmaster. Um, number two, I am a professional dancer. Mm-hmm. Number three, I am a high impact presentations trainer with the Dale Carnegie Business Group. Number four, I have a PhD in education. So those were the four things. Which one of those is not true? So three are true. Three true, my friend. Toastmasters, Dale Carnegie, salsa dancing, PhD. Which one do you think is a lie? Well, Dale Carnegie, just to throw something. You think that I did not, I'm not a high impact certified trainer at the Dale Carnegie Business Group? Well, I I am a high impact certified trainer with the Dale Carnegie Business Group. Oh, excellent. (laughs) And HIP. Do you want to know which one's the lie or do you want to take one more guess? There's only three left. No, I think you have to. (laughs) You can shoot now. (laughs) Well, in a different life, I was a professional dancer. So I actually, it's funny because when I do events and like I was speaking at an MBA program once and there's maybe like 200 like first year MBAs and they're reading my bio and everyone's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Because really nobody cares about the bios. And one, and then at the very end, and he's like, because the people knew me, they're like, and also Yvonne is a professional salsa dancer. And the whole room was like, ooh. And I was like, that's the thing you care about? All the credentials, but the one thing you like is that I can dance? <laughs> So you are not a, a, a salsa dancer instructor, huh? You're not. A, a, oh, I oh I am. I hundred percent am. Okay. <laughs> and if you were on Instagram, which is a big question, I want to know why aren't you on Instagram? You would have noticed because you would have seen my dancing videos. 
<laughs> I actually, I'm also a DTM. Do you Excellent. know? Do, I don't know, Oscar. I think you have a background in Toastmasters. Yeah, yeah, I'm a member. They Toastmasters. changed the program, so I'm old school. So I was there when when you used to be like there was the speaking and the leadership track, mm -hmm. and there were different kind of tracks. Now they've combined them all. But at that time, when you complete everything, you get a DTM, which yes. is a distinguished Toastmaster. Well, congratulations for that. that. Do they still have that? Yeah, it still is possible to have it. Different way, but uh, you still not have still a PhD in education. Oh, no PC in education. Okay. <laughs> so that's the missing. But I'm glad to believe that you actually believe that I have a PhD in education. So thank you, good sir. <laughs> okay. Cool. Okay, we, we have heard very, very interesting things about you. But tell us just why you became a professional speaker, if, if we can tell it shortly, how you became that. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Let me give you the quick and dirty of, of kind of my journey. And essentially what happened was this. My first job out of high school, my second job out of high school was I got a job with the government and I used to go around the, the province of British Columbia, which is in Canada. And I would do for about two years, I ran interactive workshops on racism and violence. Mm. Then I went to university. And so by the time I got to university, I went to business school. Oscar, you did you do like a BCom or a bat or like a, a any more, kind of business? More into tech, yeah. Pardon me. M Master in technology, so okay. Engineer, but okay. So maybe it's I'm not sure if it's the same. But in when you do business school, every single class has a group presentation and project at the end. Sure. And based on my experience, I I was just always known as the guy who was good in front of people talking to people. Mm -hmm. And then I got this thing where I was actually in Copenhagen, which is not too far from you. Mm -hmm. It was like an hour flight, if even. And I got to compete. Basically, I, I went to McGill University, and I basically got to travel around the world and compete against other business schools in case competitions. And in my last year at university, everyone was like, I had a few teachers that was like, that were like, why don't you, could you come and train our students so they get better at case? But, and I did, but then I got real jobs, quote unquote, real jobs. Mm -hmm. So I worked in finance and I worked in sales and I worked in HR and I was just, not good at any of it. And I hated it all. I hated it. <laughs> I, dude, I hated it. And, I, but the, the funny thing was, man, and I don't know if you've known this in your life. Sometimes things that you think are easy, other people are amazed by. That's what a superpower is, right? The thing that you take for granted that you don't think is very mm. interesting. Other people are like, wow. So whenever, like when I was in finance and when I was in sales, whenever I did the, the corporate training, like the, the new incoming training, I just always became the person that people are like, oh, Yvonne can do the presentation. Mm. Yvonne's good at presentation. Like it just was always there. So then um, I got into dancing and I actually opened up a dance school and I ran a dance school. And while I was doing that, I was like, well, maybe I'll try and do a little bit of this speaking thing. And I thought to myself, well, LinkedIn is full of unemployed people telling other unemployed people how to live their life. And everyone's, everyone's a motivational speaker, dude. Like everyone is this, I'm a professional speaker and life coach. That's just, you know what I'm talking about, right? Oscar? <laughs> yes. Of course. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you, 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 there's just all these people and everyone is a professional speaker, like everyone. So I thought, how can I get some sort of accreditation? That's why I did Toastmasters. That's why I did mm -hmm. Del Carnegie. Mm -hmm. um, but then at the same time, this is the weird part. This is where it goes a little weird. Oscar, do you dance? Very badly, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, okay, total tangent, Oscar. 
do you feel the pressure as a Latino man, as I am, that people just assume you can dance well because you're Latino? Does that happen in Finland? Yeah, of course it happens. <laughs> Every Latino guy I know, like people just say, oh, you're Latino? Oh, get on stage and do some spins. <laughs> They just, everyone thinks you can dance. Uh, but so I, I actually could. I, I couldn't at first. But then I had this friend that was like, hey, listen, we need an MC, mm-hmm. like a host for a dance competition. Mm-hmm. You, you dance and you're a public speaking guy, so you should be able to do this. And I thought to myself, you know what? You're right. I should be able to do this. <laughs> Yo, if you're going to talk the talk, And if you're like me, you end up like really criticizing a lot of other people. You got to be able to back it up. And I literally do. Uh, I'm I, like, I've had jobs this way where I just go up to people. Like when people are like, you know, why, what makes you different than everyone else? I'm like, give me a group right now. Give me a microphone. Give me any topic and I will do it right now. Mm-hmm. And part of that reason was because I did all this MC work. So I did it once and then I did other dance competitions. Then people are like, hey, can you MC this event? Can you host this event? And so I speak and I train to speak. And that's been the kind of journey ever since. I hope, not very short, but I hope that was enough. <laughs> ah, a lot of emceeing. Yeah, do you have that term, emceeing? Yeah, 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 of course, of course. Not, not only doing rap, but just, of course, hosting, hosting events. Is, yes, yeah, yes, there's, exactly. there's like, yeah, exactly. So sometimes I say host slash emcee. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's good to, 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 tell, to tell bots. Okay. That's an old rap line that you probably don't know. Yeah, but you For anyone listening who liked rap music in the 80s, they're losing their mind right now. <laughs> That's for all the 80s hip-hop fans. You're welcome. Yeah, what is MC? Today, the, no, no rapper uses MC as, as a name, right? That's the old school. That's super old school. Super old yeah. school. <laughs> but uh, like, rap is more, more popular MC than ever. MC, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So... I understood from the conversation we have had uh, that you believe that uh, public speaking is, is 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 taught in a in a wrong way. So so tell us what is wrong with how how people are teaching and learning public speaking. Uh oh, it's time to talk trash, Oscar. Are you ready? <laughs> I think we are ready. Talk some smack. All right. Well, Oscar, let me ask you this. Okay. Can I, can I be so bold? And I'm sorry if I'm putting you on the spot. Um, but the beautiful, you can never, you can never use this podcast if it ends up being terrible. But how much of your behavior do you think has changed in doing this podcast and speaking to all these experts? Well, quite a lot, I would say. Yeah. Yes. What makes your podcast so different than other ones? <laughs> Why are we still reading? And I'm, dude, I'm, like I said, I'm t- this is coming from a place of love. Okay, Oscar? And I, want, and, and I know I'm making you feel uncomfortable. But what happened to feeling uncomfortable? Listen, you're still reading bios. That's what everyone does. But let me ask you something. What do you listen to for fun? What podcast do you listen to for fun? What things are you like, I cannot wait till the next episode of Blank comes out? And how often do they do things like that? And I'm doing this not to talk trash, but to challenge you because there's a discrepancy. You ask people all the time and Oscar, do this now. Everyone listening right now, who are the best speakers in the world? And they always come up with stuff like just the lamest, like Steve Jobs, Barack Obama. It's like politicians or business leaders. And I'm like, really, really? When was the last time you had all your friends come over? 
And hey, guys, let's get a pizza. Let's get some beer and watch some Barack Obama speeches. <laughs> yeah, I know what he wants. I can't wait to hear this new keynote. <laughs> Dude, never, never. But you like stand-up comedy? You'll do that if someone is really funny. You'll do that for late-night talk show hosts. Aren't they really awesome speakers? Yes, in, so there's in their style, of course, yeah. Yeah, but the, but we think, oh, it's not the same thing, isn't it? Aren't you trying to get people to remember an idea, to become curious, to become interested, to want more? Why does the world of training and professionalism also mean boring and dry? There are people right now who sell pyramid schemes and multi-level marketing programs that are the worst thing in the world. Oscar, you probably have a, I've had family members, you've had family members, I've had friends like, oh, I want to introduce you to this really great business opportunity. And you're like, no, dude, no. But have you seen the people who run those companies? Isn't that public speaking? Haven't they made more of an impact than all of us? It's not for the better. Mm -hmm. So they knew how to sell. Not, but it's not just selling. There's, there's other things, right? Like, Oscar, what, if I was to ask you right now, I'm going to grab my phone right now. And I ask you, what podcast do you, do you listen to podcasts for fun? I'm a huge podcast listener. That's how I found you. For everyone that doesn't know, I reached out to Oscar and he's probably regretting it right now. He's like, oh my God, I got a crazy person from Canada here. But I reached out to Oscar because I listen to podcasts religious all the time. Can you see this? Look, this is my podcast feed. Mm -hmm. None of these are the same. I'm constantly listening to podcasts. Do you listen to them? Yeah, of course. I listen to several podcasts as well. What's, what are some you listen to for fun? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't have right now one that I'm listening for fun. I'd say the last one was some BBC comedy. Okay. Well, I'm a nerd. So, I, and, and can I plug another podcast? I have no affiliation with it, but I just think everyone should listen to it. Well, you can mention yeah, which one is it. Yeah, and you can like bleep it out. It's called The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. It's a beautiful podcast. It's all about science and critical thinking. Hmm. And I listen to it for fun. And I listen to a lot of podcasts for fun. And I listen to a lot of different genres of podcasts for fun. And the most entertaining ones seem to break all the rules that everyone says are good. Well, there are no rules, actually. Well, we say things like, um, what, what, you're right. You're right, actually. You know what? I'll concede that. You're right, Oscar. There, there's not necessarily rules. There just seems to be a lot of underlining kind of assumptions of what professionalism and good communication are. But they seem to get broken a lot too. And those people are also still good communicators. So there's got to be mm -hmm. a disconnect somewhere. That's kind of what I'm obsessed with, that disconnect and trying to bridge it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that I get it. There, there are people who are really great communicators in style that are not considered pro very professional. They are not considered public speaking, like, like a formal thing, but they are very good communicators, like uh, stand-up comedians. Just one example you mentioned. Yeah, and you know, when you think back about school, How often do you remember your, what your professor said? Sometimes, maybe bits and pieces. How often, when was the last time, I always say this question, uh, when was the last time you went into a class or a meeting and left more energized? Well, you get that some good news. <laughs> But that's not the... You passed. That's exciting. You passed besides that one day. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, Oscar, I think there's a bit of a disconnect between what we in the professional world or the corporate training world do and what actually is effective. 
That being said, mm. there's also you can't ask a stand-up comic to teach public speaking either because they don't know what that is. They just know stand-up comedy. These are different genres. The difference between I would say myself, if I'm gonna if I was gonna sell myself on this podcast to you and the audience so they know I'm not nuts, is nine out of ten people who teach who do corporate training talk like they have the answers. But if we think about it, Oscar, most of us only have our own anecdotal experience. You know, I was working with these people and they really liked what I did. Because if we're honest, everyone's like comes from a world of marketing, sales, business, education. None of them actually do public speaking outside of that little specific world. So it's anecdotal. And they take that anecdote and trying to formalize it and sound scientific with it. My approach is a little bit different because when I was doing research into communication, I realized that most communications experts, and I know I call myself that, that's my publicist, uh, but I still, I shy away from that term because most communications experts just decided they were because they were in marketing for 10 years or 20 years. If you think about it, think about all the bios you've read. So instead of that, I just decided to look at other avenues for people who talk in front of crowds who do it in the real world. And that's why I looked at, you know, professional wrestlers, buskers, police interrogators. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I've been doing a lot of work. Um, I talked to, I, I researched neuroscience and read a lot of books on neuroscience from people who are taking neuroscience and try to apply it outside of the world of academia. And I know later you're going to ask me about a book, uh, Brain Rules by John Medina. He's an amazing book that takes the neuroscience of how the brain has evolved to process information and translates it into how you should be making presentations. A great book. So yeah, that's what, that's kind of my big difference. And I know I've been talking a lot, so please say something. So I know you haven't hung up. <laughs> uh, so tell me a bit. Um, yeah. You, you have um, show what are the, some of the problems of how some people are teaching and, and also some people are trying to learn public speaking. So I, I agree with many of the things that you have said. So what about how you do it in practice? So tell me how is your, how is the way you, um, if someone wants to learn public speaking with you, how would you start and what would you tell them? And what is the process? Well, Oscar, you've done Toastmasters, right? Yes. Yeah, it was great. It was a great learning. It's pure learning, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. I feel like you're waiting for that big drop. Like I'm about to say something like, okay, I'm, I got to be careful what I say. <laughs> I loved Toastmasters. I loved it. But it's a bit dogmatic, isn't it? They have their very structured way of doing. And if you take a Toastmaster speaker and you put them outside of the world of Toastmasters, it doesn't always translate. Also, if we're really honest, because it's peer learning, sometimes, did you do two-hour Toastmaster? I was a president of a club for a while. And our session was always two hours. Was yours two hours? Yeah, that's the most common, yes. Sometimes they get a little boring, if we're honest. And I'm very honest about things. But peer learning, you had a guy a long time ago who was like the guy to become the president of the Toastmasters International, right? Yes. The guy? Yeah. And the, the idea of peer learning is really great. And they say, you know, you got, I think Toastmasters say, don't forget, you got to practice, 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 practice. But no one says how to practice. <laughs> so how, let, let me put you on the spot for a second, Oscar. How do you practice? How do I practice? Yeah, how do you practice? Tell me. Yeah, in different ways. I I, um, I have to once I have the the script or the or the outline of, of my my speech of talk. I the important thing is to repeat it and repeat it. For instance, uh, I record the audio. I listen to the audio many times, mm -hmm. and I know I have what I have to modify. So, but in the end, it's um, it's an iteration. 
I love the fact that you like try and record yourself and listen back to change it, right? Let me ask you another question. Um, do you have calluses? What you know what calluses are? Can you see me on the on the oh, video? No one can yeah, see yeah. this, but I'm showing Oscar you, my, the calluses on my hands. You play guitar? Out. You play guitar probably? <laughs> oh dude, yeah. No, this dude. You know what this is from? Oh, this for Jim. This is. I'm trying to do. I I I've spent the last uh, the summer doing a chin up challenge. So that's all mm. from chin ups. Okay. When you practice, you practice by yourself. This is what everyone does, right? People say practice, 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 practice. And most of us, Oscar, you're a step ahead of the game because most people will practice by going like, like looking at their screen. You know, I think a lot of your people have talked about this. They kind of like mumble to themselves or they'll, I'll talk about this, da, 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 da. And everyone says, it's important to practice. It's important to practice. It's important to practice. But no one gives you strategies on how to practice. And here's the thing. You have to practice to build a calluses because the truth is no matter when, how much you practice, you're always going to be nervous. I mean, I'm nervous all the time when I speak. Mm -hmm. Are you probably the same thing for you? I think everyone is. It's natural. Yes. No matter how much you practice. And then inevitably, oh, I can't say that word. Inevitably, you stumble. There's always that little stumble because of the nerves, right? Mm -hmm. So what would happen if you only practiced with that nervousness? that nervousness of a bunch of people watching you that you feel because here's the thing. No one gives you tactics on how to practice. And no one tells you that when you practice by yourself safely, it doesn't work. You memorize word for word. And then the second you mess up one tiny word, the rest crumbles. So here's some advice on how to practice. Okay. You have to practice to build the calluses because you're always going to be nervous. So here's what I do. Okay. Um, and in my book, I give you these strategies in more detail. <laughs> you have to practice with the fear of being watched. So number one, and this one is not, this one is most people will say, try doing something like this. After you've listened to your speech a few times, Oscar, right? Yes. If you do it, if you keep listening to your exact speech every time, you will memorize word for word. And if you're like me, you can always tell when someone is memorized. You don't have to see their faces, but if you've ever listened to something and someone read you something or had something memorized, it is all, you can always hear it because it always sounds a little off. And I'll talk about that later. So here's the first thing you need to do. You need, after you've done that a few times, sure, whatever system, you got to ask uh, a friend or a significant other, hey, can I run like, a, a, like 10, 20, 30 seconds of my presentation by you? And they like have to say yes, right? Mm -hmm. And the second you do it, and if you've ever done this, this is the truest thing. Tell me if I'm right, Oscar, if you've done this. I'm assuming you, you've done this before, right? You've asked a friend, can I run yeah, something yeah. by you, a presentation? Absolutely. Don't you always have that moment at the very beginning when they're like, okay, go. And you're like, um, uh, okay, just give me a second. Does that happen? <laughs> of course. Oh, you're laughing because, yeah. So listen, why? It's because that's the first time you're feeling the nerves of being watched. So first way to practice is you overtly ask people. When I, my, I still remember this, Oscar, when I was like a, just starting my Toastmaster journey, I was, I don't, every club's a little different, but I was, I was the joke master. Our club had a joke master. Mm -hmm. okay. Do you guys have a joke master? No, no, no. But I understand there's someone who, who, who gives the jokes. Okay. It's your so turn to give jokes. I had to do a joke and I still mm -hmm. remember it. And you can put it in the bonus after the credits if you want. I'll tell it to you afterward if you want it. I had to tell this joke. So what did I do? 
I told it in front of three or four people and it bombed every time because I, I kind of messed it up. That happens to you. You try and tell a joke and you kind of mess it up. I may have done it in front of like 10 or 12 people over the course of a day leading up to my Toastmaster meeting. And by the 12th, 13th person I did it in front of, I was killing it. Because the first five or six times they were waiting, I, I, they were watching me and I got a little, little nervous. The second way you do it is you sneak your presentation Mm-hmm. into your social conversations. Mm. So for example, if you had to talk about something you're, you work in your work and people say, How, how's it going? I did this maybe a month ago because I had to speak in about oil and gas. Whenever I do training, I learn the industry and I only use their examples. So I was learning about like the oil and gas industry and what's called futures trading in oil and gas. And people are like, so what you do today? And I literally just snuck in. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. dude, I was learning about this. And right away, I did maybe two minutes of my presentation in front of them. Hmm. And so they started getting bored or interrupting. And then I realized that's where I got to change it. So I practiced in my own words. And I did that every time, never with notes, because it was different every time. So I have my own delivery. So it sounds, quote unquote, natural. And the last way, Oscar, if you ever want to really kill it, like if you want to kill it, <laughs> if you want to become like, quote unquote, fearless, if you want to have calluses so, so thick that you feel nothing for the rest of your life. <laughs> wow. Here's how you got to do it, man. This is the hardest but most effective way. And I do this to this day. Mm-hmm. You practice outside where strangers can see you. Wow. I'm, I walk down the street and people look at me weird because I do my presentation. Not like this, not super quiet. I do it like I normally would do it. I have taken clients believe me, Oscar, what's the busiest intersection in the business district in, uh, right. Sorry. It's Helsinki. Yes. In Helsinki. Uh, let's say Mannerheim and Alexander Inkatu. Whatever those words were. Yes. Exactly. And everyone listening, think about like the busy, busy intersection mm-hmm. in your business district, in your downtown. Believe me when I tell you, I was working with this, uh, VP in a, in a finance firm. And he had to do this big keynote in front of a bunch, like a couple hundred people. And we were killing it. We were in his office. We went to the boardroom. He was killing it. Every time I told him, like, you got to start making this sound interesting to your wife, your children, everyone. He was practicing in front of people. He was getting it great. And believe me when I told you, I took him out to the corner Mm -hmm. of Young and Bloor, which is whatever the busiest intersection in Toronto. Six million people in the city. Mm Mm-hmm. And I told, I, he stood 10, minute, 10 feet away and there's people walking by and I said, give me your speech. And the nervousness and self-consciousness he felt, he couldn't even remember his first line. Because he was like, what? <laughs> like right now, give me your speech. He's like, out loud? I'm like, yeah. We did that two or three times. He was the crazy person on the street afterward. He was like, all right, everybody, I want to go. And he was just doing his presentation, even though people were walking by and it was really self-conscious because we built the calluses. So that's three strategies. But did, you, did he found an audience? Anybody stopped to listen to him? Or? People looked at us weird. Yeah, okay. <laughs> People slowed down. And can you imagine how like uncomfortable that is as you as a speaker? Of course. Nobody who I know does that. that no one does it, you. dude. But if you do it, wow, you will become, you will always feel nervousness, but it'll affect your delivery less and less. Stand-up comics. Like my favorite stand-up comic is Bill Burr. Do you know who that is? Mm, no, no, no. He's super famous in, uh, I guess, North America. He's hilarious. Do yourself a favor. Go listen to Bill Burr. Okay. He's hilarious. Okay. Who's your favorite? Who? 
I don't know them so much, yeah, so to be honest. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. Think for the listening audience. Here's a thing you don't maybe you don't know about stand-up comics. When you watch stand-up comics, mm -hmm. what you don't realize is that they probably spent for their joke, for their set, mm -hmm. they spent months going to little tiny clubs mm -hmm. on Monday nights when no one is there yeah. except two or three people and they bomb, meaning they fail. Meaning they go and practice in front of other people. Yeah, yeah and every exactly. time they do it, they build the calluses and they refine what they're saying. And it, it's different every time until they get it good enough that they can do it in front of everyone else and they put it on the special. But that strategy was not something I developed. It's something that came from stand-up comedy. And man, can you imagine how hard is it to make people laugh? <laughs> it's very difficult, of course. It's very difficult. Yeah. So if they can do it yeah, and they're yeah. doing something to practice so they build the calluses, can't, why can't we use it? Mm-hmm. Anyway. So you do this, uh, the calluses, so, so practice a lot and then going to like the business uh, intersection. You do that with all your um, other people, clients? your students, people? yeah, clients. Uh, what, sometimes because I do a lot of group protection, privates, yeah. So it doesn't have to be that extreme. So for example, I was at another company, I was at a company once and I was working with about five or six uh, directors. And all I did, and Oscar, it is amazing how much this has an effect. And you can try this next time you're at work or for the listening audience. If you're working on your presentations, all I did was open the door to the boardroom so other people could look in. And just that one little thing freaked everybody out. And they felt that nervousness of being watched and judged. But mm -hmm. we did that a few times and it stopped bothering them. Then we did it in the lunchroom mm -hmm. where people were having lunch. And at first, super self-conscious, even right. though they were ignoring everyone. So we were replicating what you would feel on the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, increasing the increasing the exposure, uh, right? A bit more people so seeing example, you. Oscar, mm -hmm. look, let's. We're talking a lot of ideas, and I'm. All, I told you, I'm all about tactics. Oscar, what would happen just for funsies? Okay, you say something like, "You try doing the bio in front of your wife." <laughs> oh, I got to talk to this guy who's like, uh, uh, I think he's he's like Canadian or something, and he seems very opinionated. <laughs> and uh we, we we're going to talk he, I, apparently he's like he's wrote in a book it's called uh i can't remember what happens if you just peppered that into your conversations mm -hmm. and then when you had to do it for realsies you could bring your own delivery to it just as a way to practice yeah that's that's uh similar to what you say a bit earlier that uh yeah putting in your, in your in your conversation you go and have lunch with someone and yeah you bring a bit of your of your next talk or whatever you're going to you're practicing right so that's i think that's that's, that's you know definitely a good you know idea what's funny yeah you know it's funny because when people don't think it's formal when people think it's just you're having a chat you can see when they're bored and you can see when they don't care right mm -hmm. and so there you're like okay so maybe i should tweak that messaging a little bit <laughs> <laughs> like when i do my presentations um I, my girlfriend or well, my ex-girlfriend she uh she started getting really good at knowing. She'd be like, are you, are you doing, a pre I, I think you're trying to run your presentation by me, aren't you? Because I would sneak it into our conversations all the time. But <laughs> even when she suspected, she could never tell because I was always like putting it in, trying to put it into my own words, you know? And it was never the same delivery. And that's how I kind of got this really thick calluses and this kind of cross training to like always be able to communicate in a way that sounds natural and practicing with nervousness. So that when I do feel nervous, and like, for example, I'm nervous talking to you right now. I mean, you have a huge listening audience and everything, but you can never tell. 
<laughs> yeah, I think everybody is, is nervous when I. I've also been a ge um, the guest in some podcasts, of course. It's, it's not, and were you nervous? Easy, like, you know, you're trying to think of the right thing to say, you're trying to yeah, say your yeah. words in the, you know? Of course, of course. Yeah, you you mentioned and and I I have seen also on your on your sites that you mentioned the you you use example from wrestling interrogation. Yeah. Tell me a bit of those what particularly how how to apply that to public speaking. Absolutely. And actually you can apply to when you're making arguments and also when you're debating. So are you a pub, are you a professional wrestling fan, Oscar? No. <laughs> no. When I was a kid, Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant, oh, wow. nothing. <clears throat> I have seen that, but never been so so hooked. I I used Oscar. I got the magazines, man. Okay. As a kid, I used to buy the magazines. <laughs> okay, in the world of wrestling, there are faces and there are heels. A face is a good guy. A heel is a bad guy, right? So in the golden age of wrestling, when they were really getting dramatic, we're talking like maybe the 60s and 70s, right? What, the, what, what happened was this. They would try and make characters, right? And they'd make a face. They'd make a good guy. Mm -hmm. But it, they could never predict if the good guy was going to be liked or not. Mm -hmm. And by the way, I have a friend of mine who's a lawyer slash professional wrestler. He's a lawyer by day and he like puts on a mask and he professional wrestles at night. Like amateur professional wrestling at night. And he talked about this too. He said, what happens is you bring some guy out and you want to make people like them, but it is, how hard is it to make someone like something, Oscar? I don't think it's easy. Yeah. Yeah. It's super hard. Mm -hmm. So what would happen is they'd introduce these faces and people would like, sometimes like half the time they would boo them because they thought they were lame, <laughs> but what it's really easy to do. And this is, you see this in politics all the time is that it's really easy to make someone not like something. Mm. So here's what they did in wrestling. Before they introduced a hero, a face, they would always introduce a villain, a heel. Mm. They'd make the whole crowd dislike them. And then whoever stood up to the heel was loved by everyone. <laughs> so the classic bit, and this is, if, you, if you've never, this is classic. This is for anyone who's kayfabe. And kayfabe is a term that if you're into professional wrestling, you're losing your mind right now. You're losing your mind. <laughs> you can look it up, Oscar, kayfabe. They would have a guy come out with like a little baggie with like toothpaste and a toothbrush and a bar of soap. And they'd get some guy come out and just, just call everyone a bunch of filthy animals. They'd be like, look at you disgusting, stinking animals. This is a bar of soap. You use it to clean yourselves. You've probably never seen that before. And people would hate them. Mm. And then literally you could bring out any other wrestler, any other wrestler to beat up the bad guy and people would just love him. Mm -hmm. How do we apply that to speaking, Oscar? First, if you are doing a presentation, it's important to realize that most people are going to forget the vast majority of what you say. And the likelihood that everyone is going to agree with you is like what? Probably close to zero. You get everyone on your side. Everyone's going to believe you. Everyone's going to agree with you. It's very difficult. So what a smart speaker and a smart debater and a smart communicator does is instead of presenting a solution in your presentation, you present a series of alternatives. Let's say three alternatives or three solutions, each one with pros and cons. But here's the secret. Solution one, solution two, you spend, you talk about how they have way more cons, way more negative than positive. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Third solution is the one you the one you actually want people to do. And you talk about why that's all the positives of that and very few negatives of that. Then by virtue of the fact that you've made the first two the bad guys, whatever you present at the end, the good guy is the one that people are most likely going to buy into. Because I don't have to make you agree with my ideas. All I have to make you believe is that other ideas don't work. Mm-hmm. And it's not right. It's not fair. But it is how the human mind works. Do you see? What, do, you, do you get the do you get the concept there from yeah, wrestling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good idea. No, it's, it it's, it's a very good uh, example. What every politician does. And when I, I used to be in debating, mm-hmm. and I would win debates all the time by and never introduce my argument, never <laughs> defend my argument. I would just destroy other yeah. people's arguments. <laughs> yes, that's. I think it's very. It's the strongest for for debating. Yeah, yeah. I've done it a few times with you, man. Look how much I've made the traditional kind of learning method the villain, and then I say, "Well, what about this?" <laughs> and then, by virtue of like, well, maybe I will try it one day. Exactly. And why do you think that some people fall into the trap of thinking that? Okay, for instance, I just imagine people who are just listening to, to what you said. There, I think. Uh, Particularly, like a couple of ideas you said, so and are, are sticking in my mind right now. And mm-hmm. people will say, "Okay, that's a great idea. This guy Ivan has a great idea." Uh, but what what do we do? So the people who are listening to these good ideas really put them in practice. Okay, it's very general, but let me say this. Mm-hmm. So I'm a big believer in, in. I think that good communication is like working out. Like building a muscle, like the more you do yes. curls, the bigger your bicep get. It's a muscle that you have to exercise. So what I like to do sometimes is give people actual phrases that they have to complete to start exercising. And as they get better, they don't need the phrases anymore. So for example, let's say you do something. It's called a goal opportunity statement. And it's like this. By doing action, you achieve benefit within a certain amount of time. Okay. And you have to put in the action and the benefit and the time. And I will make people, whenever they're doing a presentation, fill out that sentence mm-hmm. with the caveat of the action has to be specific enough that I can agree or disagree with it. Agreement and buy-in is not the issue. And then the time and benefit, you can't always have all three, but you can try to have all three. But the time and benefit just gives me a number I can measure. And I make people f- do that formula and then make three different versions of that formula mm-hmm. for three different alternatives. So for example, um, by focusing only in computer engineering, you can make sure that you achieve a six-figure salary within five years. Okay. Now, if I say that to someone, there's two types of people, people who are going to agree or disagree, correct? Yes. Now, suppose you agree. Good. Because now it, you agree. And you know what people love being, Oscar? People love being right. <laughs> right? So they're going to watch the presentation and they're going to like, you know, if you've ever been in this situation where someone suggested something that you agree with, you almost want to tell the person next to you, actually, you know, I had that same idea. Yeah. <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. So you're watching because it's this is my, this, you're basically taking credit for it in your head. Suppose you disagree. Good. <laughs> because if you've ever disagreed with a solution, What are you doing? You're watching the presentation for all the holes so you can ask a question that's going to destroy them. Which means you're listening and watching and I got you. Okay. 
You're now, good. what would happen if I took that and put it for all three alternatives? So, so you have uh, something to agree and something to disagree in each of the options. Mm -hmm. And the idea being that if I state that, if I give you three alternatives, for example, and two of them seem very not ideal, but it's what we're doing or what we're currently doing, really good pitching does this. And then I present something that's an alternative to the two things that aren't very good, and it seems much better. Amazing. I got you. Then what happens if I put one goal opportunity statement for each one of those alternatives? Then I have a second opportunity to potentially capture you. Because Oscar, here's the harsh truth, man. What do you, what do you think the goal of a presentation is? You've been doing this 160 episodes now? Almost. Have you gotten a clear answer? Mm -hmm. What's the goal of a good presentation? Just very generally. Everything you've heard. Yeah, I mean, it depends on what type of presentation you're talking about, but is to is to communicate an idea clearly. That's yeah. That's one what of the main goals. Uh, to make it people take an action. Sure. That yeah. can be another. Sell them on something, so, get buy-in, get them to understand an idea, remember something. You've heard these kind of terms before, right? Mm -hmm. So suppose you're speaking to 50 people. What are the odds are all going to remember everything and understand everything? Yeah, not everything for sure. What are the odds you're going to get buy-in from everyone? That's small, depending on what you <laughs> yeah, say <it> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So you hear all these goals, right? But if you think about it, and here's the thing, man, you've sort of been setting yourself up for failure because we all know these goals aren't really that achievable. And the reason we do them is because no one has given us an alternative. But what happens, because here's the thing, in a five, 10 minute, 20 minute, one hour presentation, I'm going to forget the vast majority of what you said. I'll probably only remember two things. I'll probably remember like one thing you said that I'll latch onto and maybe a general impression of you. Mm -hmm. So speaking a lot doesn't really affect like trying to get buy-in, trying to get people to remember things, all that kind of stuff. It doesn't work. And, but we still try for it. But what happens if the goal is curiosity? What happens if the goal of a presentation is uncertainty to create curiosity? So for example, Here's for me, the goal of a good presentation, the goal of any communication. Mm -hmm. It's not to inform you, convince you, sell you, get you to understand things. because that's impossible. It's going or very rare, very rare, not impossible, just hard. But if I make you curious, you will do the work on your own afterward. Mm -hmm. So if I can make you curious about something, Oscar, you will find out all the details on your own. You actually will read the PowerPoint that you asked for at the end of the session. Yeah, exactly. That sits on your desktop and you delete after a year because you're never going to look at it. <laughs> right? Here's the sign up. Here's what your goal of successful presentation should be. It should be to have a group of people wanting to speak to you afterward. It should be having a bunch of people going and being like, where can I find out more? Where can I find out more? I need mm -hmm. to find out more. Because then they'll do all the details of your presentation. They'll go through your slides. They'll learn about what you want them to learn about. They'll understand what you want them to understand about on their own terms in their own time. Mm -hmm. If you do, the example, the goal opportunity statement, and they disagree with you, but you spend your whole presentation showing you like um, why there's no other really good alternative, 
they may not agree with you at the end, but if they're curious, they'll want to talk and challenge you on it or find out more and see if they can find more holes, which means they will go and understand on their own in their own time. So that's for me, like the goal of a really good presentation. And I know it doesn't indirectly sort of answers your question, but let me give you one more example that proves it. Mm-hmm. You ever try and do YouTube research? YouTube research? Yeah, like you want to find out about something and you go on YouTube and you try and find a video on it? Well, yes, searching, yes. For sure. I mean, everyone does. Mm -hmm. Do you ever go down the YouTube rabbit hole where you were looking for something and then all of a sudden an hour goes by and you're watching all these random videos about like the pyramids being built by aliens and you go down like the YouTube rabbit hole? (laughs) Yeah, that's how the system is built. So it's difficult not to fall into that. Yeah, because they leverage curiosity. Mm Mm-hmm. And you have every dear listener, you have all been in this situation where you have work to do, but you just want to watch one more video first. (laughs) That's what I try and do in my presentations because it works. If it works for YouTube, imagine if you did that in your presentations. So instead of having a presentation that answers all your questions with all the information on it, you have a presentation that begs the question that leaves people curious at the end. So then they have to find out more on their own. Yeah, And you do that with a goal opportunity statement. And there's lots of other ways you can do it that we haven't really gotten into, but sure. I don't want to talk too much because I feel like I've been yeah, talking Yeah, I mean, the idea is, is definitely definitely <laughs> good because uh, it's it's not realistic to to try to achieve too many goals at the same time in a, in a presentation, especially if it's short. But uh, having this curiosity in your audience is, is something that... Uh, is definitely achievable, and uh, <laughs> the audience will uh, continue doing their research, find the answer, or or keep engaging with you. Yeah, well, let me just. I know, I know, we're kind of running on time here, and you can, I can talk for longer if you want, but I don't want to drive you crazy. Hallmarks. This thing. Everyone, every single person in the world, and this is. I'm just going to get preachy for a minute, okay, Oscar? I'm gonna. I'm telling you my heart right now. I'm serious, man. I, I get like I'm I get worked up about this stuff because it's all I do, and I'm on a mission to end the world of boring. Because, dude, you have never been to any kind of soft skills training that wasn't a little bit boring. That where you're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You've never been to a soft skills training where the trainer talked most of the time. <laughs> and they say things like, you know, um, you have to make sure that you adjust your your body language and your communication style to your audience. And that is the illusion of information, my friend, because that's where it stops. So adjust yourself. Pretend that everyone's really sad. How would you change yourself? And it's like, I guess I would do this. And it's all through coaching and it's all through practice. And it doesn't really have a foundation in anything. It's just through anecdotal anecdotes. When I did this with this person, they changed dramatically. But what if someone gave you tactics? No one gives you tactics. Everyone just gives you these ideas. Oh, you know what? It's important to um, adjust your message and tone to fit your audience. What does that mean? Like, what does that actually mean? How do you do that? <laughs> yeah. What if you took that goal opportunity statement? And, you know, I have a bunch of different sentences like that. And you made three versions of it for your solution. One is highly, highly dramatic. And one is very technical. And then one is in the middle of both. And then throughout your presentation, you try all three to see what resonates. And if you get a bunch of people going, oh, or something, a reaction of any form, positive or negative, that's the one you use. See, that's a tactic. People say things like, um, it's really important to, I don't know, uh, 
make sure you have good, good body language, but you don't want to like overdo it or make sure you have good eye contact, but don't overdo it. And if you're like me, you're like, okay, <laughs> but how, what, uh, what does that even mean? Yeah. <laughs> what if someone gave you a tactic to physically move to various spots and what to do when you move and when you hit those spots as a way to start building your muscle until you get your own version? What if someone gave you an alternative to eye contact? Because I, you did have one guy who said like, you know, people spend too much time focusing on eye contact, hmm. but then all he did, all they did was give you some tongue in cheek thing. Like about like, I can't remember what it was. It was like, don't be weird about it or something like that. Oh yeah. <laughs> and that's the illusion. It's really funny. What a good talking point, but how, how, when I'm super scared to death and nervous, that's the disconnect. And that's what I try and do. And I have tactics for all of the things I'm mentioning. I just don't want to go talk too much before. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, don't worry. There will be, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure after this uh, conversation, there will be people interested in uh, learning more about you and, and getting in touch with you. We are, well, we are heading the this. end of the I'll interview. So I will ask you a oh, couple sorry. of more questions. One question yeah, is, please, just to close. Um, oh, you know share what, what is your favorite quotation? Oscar, hold on. For the questions, do this just for funsies because I, I practice what I preach, man. Okay? Do you, have, do you have your phone with you right now? Yes. Can you put on your timer? Ask me a question and give me a time and hit, let me, give me a minute, 30 seconds, 20 seconds, 10 seconds, whatever you want. Okay, then just a moment. See, I practice what I preach. While Oscar is doing that, I'm going to tell everybody that another strategy you can use um, if you fall into like speaking too much or talking for too long is you can try one strategy is using the Ig Nobel strategy, IG Nobels, which is a beautiful event where they celebrate science that makes you laugh and then makes you think. And they have this whole uh, thesis portion where you have to say your thesis in 24 seconds and then in seven words. Okay, and sounds good. And have like basically a bunch of strategies to find, to get out of details. And this is, the timing is one. You okay, ready? now you talk about timing, okay. I'll give you one minute to answer what is your favorite quotation. There it goes. One minute to answer what is my favorite quotation. That's an easy one because the quotation is, uh, oh, now I'm blanking. <laughs> I say this all the time. The terms information and communication are used interchangeably, but they actually mean different things. Information is giving out. Communication is getting through. Whenever I do a presentation, here's how I know I have a core message. I ask myself, and this is from news, from NPR radio, from reporters, what is the one thing that I'm going to say that the listener will repeat to other people? Mm -hmm. And I decide what that's going to be in advance because that's communication versus all the things I'm going to say. And that's information. That's saying a bunch of stuff that no one remembers between saying very little that people will repeat. Mm -hmm. What's my time? Still 10 seconds. But the, the, who is the owner of this? The really, author? really, 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 really important. <laughs> One minute. That was your minute. <laughs> okay. So I will t give you now two minutes to give me, share with us an exercise, something practical that we can do it regularly. A routine to shine. There you go. Two minutes. If you want to become a better communicator and build the calluses to nervousness so that nervousness does not affect your delivery, 
instead or at the same time as you do Toastmasters or whatever speaking training guru person you're talking to, whatever books you're going to read, all that's noise. Find a local improv group and start doing basic improv because it'll be fun and it'll make you very comfortable with uncertainty, forgetting what you're saying. And all improv is always done in front of other people. So it'll help you to build the calluses. Improv is cheaper than most other things. If there's a university in your neighborhood or in your area, which there probably is, there's the university improv club and they'll be even cheaper than the <laughs> non-university clubs. I was a good speaker, Oscar, after Toastmasters, after Dale Carnegie, I was a good speaker. I did the conservatory program at the Second City, which is a famous improv school. And I did their whole like year and a half training. And I went next level with it. It also gave me a bunch of little icebreakers and warmups and activities that I can use. Because when I train, I only speak maybe 30 or 40% of the time. The rest of the time, the whole audience is either working or presenting. Because I'm a big believer in that. And I learned interaction and letting it go freeform through improv. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So you had even 20 seconds. Uh, Killing uh, it. So no one ever complains about finishing early. <laughs> so you made it. Excellent. So thanks a lot, Ivan, for this conversation. There are very good ideas and also not only ideas, but also ways to put them in practice. So I'm sure people want to learn more about what you are doing, how to do this. So please let us know how people can fund you. Sure, I will. I, but it's more, Oscar, I will. But it's more important for me to ask you one question, sir. Will you try one of these tactics before your next interview? Yes, I think the the good idea, uh, the one that's sticking in my mind is that uh, having in a in a regular conversation a part of my next talk. So that's something. If you do it, or if anyone does it, I would love to know how it went. Mm -hmm. If you found it helpful, because it's what you learn after you know it all that counts. Uh, you, I will get my details. Uh, my website is publicspeakinglab.com. I have a couple of courses on Udemy. I have a book called They Don't Have to Be Naked. And it's, you can check all of that out on publicspeakinglab.com. And then I guess I'll leave you the link because my Instagram is Ruiz, my first initial, and then my last name. And that the same thing on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Ruiz, LinkedIn slash Ruiz. Actually, okay. Oscar, do you want to see something cool? If you have the LinkedIn app, when you go in the search bar, there's a QR code. Do you see it? See that QR uh -huh. code? Mm -hmm. Everyone has a personal QR code. You can do this for virtual networking, by the way. You see that? Oh, yeah. Look, that's cool. my personal QR code. If you just put a picture of this on the podcast, everyone can connect with me. Oh, just a moment. Yeah. Okay. I took the picture. <laughs> Hold on. Do one more with me in the background. Go. Look. Yeah. Ready. <laughs> Fantastic. Again, thanks a lot, Ivan, and all the best. Okay, Oscar, thank you so much. And thank you for doing what you do. Uh, I, I really love that you've been persistent in doing this podcast and you should feel really great about doing something that's impacted people, man. And thank you for being patient with me. Thanks a lot. Eh? <laughs> Until next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Did you like it? Please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Stitcher, or visit us at timetoshinepodcast.com. Until next time... <laughs>